Hi friends, today is an exciting day for me because today we get to talk about Takadini. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 72 of Elemental Conversations. This topic comes from two different colleagues with two different emails. And the first one said, hi, Victoria, I'm a beginning music teacher, and I am keen to know your reasons for using Takadimi syllables. The other email was a little bit longer. It had some background information, but the core idea was that this person was looking for a rhythm syllable system to use. They were thinking about switching over to Takadimi and they said, someone mentioned Takadimi and I've been looking into it, but I am not totally convinced yet, especially for elementary kids over the Tiri Tiri system. I wanted to ask why you are a convert. So this is fun for me because like this person said, I am a convert. So I have um, some opinions. I'm sure a lot of us do. But before we get to that, I want to make sure that this is not being framed as which rhythm syllable system is best. That's really important to me because every system, including having no system at all, is best for something. So as we talk about this, the question in my mind is not which one of this, which one of these rhythm syllable systems is best. The question is, which one is this best for? What do we want to emphasize? And naturally, when we ask what we want to emphasize, we are also asking, what do we want to de-emphasize? Because all of these are going to break down somewhere. So the question we ask is, where do we want that somewhere to be? Where do we want that breakdown to be? There are very good reasons for choosing many different systems of counting. And of course, we know that real musicians can call sounds many different things and real musicians can have many different ways of conceptualizing rhythm, including uh, not having a set system or counting method or um, notation practice at all. So in our teaching, we are using a common set of vocabulary. We want one common set of things that we are calling these rhythms in our classrooms so that we can get everyone on the same page to be able to communicate with the other musicians in that room who use that same system. Again, because so many musicians, so many real musicians have so many different ways of thinking about rhythmic duration and thinking about sounds on a beat and even conceptualizing beat at all. Right. Okay. So I said before that I am a Takadimi convert. I converted from um, exclusive metric counting or numeric counting, like one eanda, two eanda. I converted from that to what we call Kodai syllables. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, ta, ti, ti, tika, tika. And I converted from those to Takadimi, which we'll talk about today. And I share that just to say that I changed my mind on this. And it's likely that during my time on this earth teaching music, um, I will probably change my mind again. So today we're talking about Takadimi. We're going to look at the evolution of rhythm syllables in general, um, at least in the context of Western music education. And then we'll also look at some criticisms of Takadimi and other beat based syllable systems. So to me, no surprise, this change in my thinking from metric counting to Kodai syllables to Takadimi, it came down to some elemental questions and how I was um, answering those within my own teaching and kind of maneuvering through this thought process. Three elemental questions that we are going to think about are number one, what is the role of the symbol in a sound before symbol approach? 
The next question, like we talked about, what do we want to emphasize? And then the third thing is what communication, sorry, what communication system works best for the ensemble? With these questions, especially when we talk about the evolution of rhythm syllable systems, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit. And some people are like, yes, I love the weeds. Thank you so much. And some people are like, nope, just want to know about Takadimi. And then I am on my way. Okay. So I'm going to talk about Takadimi first, and then I'll circle back around to it after we give a little bit more context. Uh, so if you just want like the TLDR, or just want the too long, didn't read version without going into all of the detail and the theory, you just want to know what is the deal with Takadimi, why would someone want to use it? This is for you. Let's start with uh, two songs. Let's start with Skipping Rope Song and Vivora de la Mar. Here is Skipping Rope Song, and you can sing along if you know it. This is our sing-along portion. Um, and regardless, will you find a way to just very gently pat a steady beat? Skipping Rope Song, the my version that I use is... Early in the morning at eight o'clock, you can hear the postman's knock. Up jumps Ella to open the door. One letter, two letters, three letters, four. And if we were to sing that on rhythm syllables using takadimi, let's keep that beat going. It would sound like this. Takadimi, takadimi, tari ta, tari 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 ta, tari takadimi, takadimi ta, tarimi, tarimi, tarimi ta. Great. Let's move over to Vibora de la Mar, and there are a million and one different versions of this, different variations, but uh, let's keep a similar steady beat going. We'll pick up the pace just a little bit, and this is the version that I am using. It sounds like this. Vibora, vibora de la mar, por aquí pueden pasar. Los de adelante corren mucho, los de atrás se quedarán. Tras, 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 tras. And if we were to sing that on rhythm syllables, we would have, let's keep that same steady beat. Sounds like this. Now, something I love about the Takadimi system is that it's oriented around how music sounds instead of exclusively how it's notated. So the downbeat is always ta because it sounds like the downbeat. If it's notated with an eighth note, but it functions as the downbeat, we call it ta. If it's notated with a half note, but it functions as the downbeat, we call it Ta. If it's notated with a 16th note, but it functions as the downbeat, we say ta. That's right. It's based on how music sounds. It's organized around, I'm going to use the word audiation, the audiation of the steady beat. And that steady beat is so important. This is the steady pulse that keeps an ensemble together. It's the primary unifying element that helps us all work together as a team. And this is true for beat-based syllables in general, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but I love this emphasis on beat function. We can hear that the duration matters. How long we extend a sound is still a part of the system, but it's not the, the way the system is organized primarily. And in a similar vein, later on, we're going to notate this likely. We're going to notate this likely with standardized Western notation, but I don't need to know the meter or how it's notated in order to make sense orally. Again, I'm going to use that word audiation in order to make sense orally of how these rhythms are constructed. 
I don't need to know how it's notated. I don't need to know the meter. I just need to know where I feel the steady beat. And from there, I can notate it by ear. This opens up a lot of doors for us because in the case of, let's go back to Vibora de la Mar. If you try to conduct this, Vibora, Vibora de la Mar, por aquí pueden pasar, los de adelante corren mucho, you'll see that our very big beats are kind of, um, they're based around the text. They're not necessarily based around a strict meter that stays the same the whole time, right? So when it's time to notate this, I have some beats of, sorry, some measures of two, four, and some measures of three, four in here. And you can hear how metrically things are kind of elongated and kind of squished in that phrase. If I had to sing that with metric counting, one and a two and a one and two, one and two and one and two, three and a one and two and, right? That would kind of be a lot, not impossible by any means, but that would kind of be a lot for third graders at the very beginning of the year. If you were to put this in front of them and ask them to read a mixed meter piece, right? <laughs> um, again, certainly not impossible, but probably we're not doing much with conceptualizing mixed meter at the beginning of third grade. But if I am using a beat-based system, it doesn't matter what the meter is. It matters how many sounds I hear on the beat. Does that make sense? So it just opens up a lot of doors for us to be able to conceptualize a bunch of rhythms without kind of tripping over uh, some of the Western music theory that can really get in the way of active musicking. So what is a system that I can use for us to understand these rhythms in a uh, in a true way, but not get all tied up in knots around time signatures and notation. Does that make sense? I can use this to lead to time signatures and notation later if I want to, but students are not dependent on a theoretical understanding of this notation in order to engage in the music in, um, in an honest way, in a true way. We've already been dancing around this idea of a beat-based system or a symbol-based system. So let's talk about that because um, this is one of the, the questions that we're going to ask is what do we want to emphasize and what do we want to de-emphasize? So if we use syllables that are oriented around the beat and the beat subdivision and where musical sounds live in relation to the steady pulse of music, we call those syllables beat Based. Again, they're organized around the beat. They're oriented around the beat. If we use syllables that are oriented around how long music lasts and the symbol we use to notate them visually in standardized Western notation, regardless of where the beat is or what the metric organization is, we call those symbol based. You'll also hear people refer to them as length based or syllable based or symbol specific or notation oriented, or, you know, this goes by all sorts of names, but the idea is the syllable that we use for the sound is directly related to the standardized Western notation symbol that we use to notate the sound. So it's a bit more emphasis on the notation. It's kind of like a one-to-one, -one, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So the system that we choose to use is going to probably depend on how we view this idea of sound before symbol. 
So what is sound before symbol? That's a phrase that we use a lot. In a sound before symbol approach, we want students to hear musical sounds and interact with them and experience them in their bodies as a primary way of knowing music. So how do we teach music? What is the, the pathway that we are going to go down through in order to help a student know, really know music. And the answer in this approach is active musical experiences. The sound, the experience of that sonic event, the experience itself of the sonic event is the foundational learning experience. What does this sound sound like? What does it feel like? What do we notice about it? We experience it as an embodied sonic event expressed in community with other musicians. The label and the notation they're going to stem from, they are they happen after these experiences. So the label and the notation are secondary. The primary experience is something that students do, not something they memorize and something they look at. And both of these approaches, the um, beat-based system and a symbol-based system, both of these are sound before symbol, but they take it with kind of a different lens because they're answering this question a little bit differently. What is the role of a symbol in a sound before symbol approach? So let's um, kind of dive into that first elemental question a little bit more. Here are two authors I read on this. One is Bruce Dalby from 2015, and the other is a quote from Don Esther in 2010. And by the way, I have um, oodles of sources <laughs> for this episode, so you can click through to the show notes and find all of that if you're interested in kind of diving into some of the authors who have shaped my thinking on this. So the first person said, the system used must be based on how music is audited, how it sounds, not how it is notated. I'll say it again. The system used must be based on how music is audited, how it sounds, not how it is notated. That's Dolby. The next quote that I'm pulling is, because sound comes before sight, both the rhythm and the tonal syllables must be sound-based rather than notation-based. I'll say it again. Because sound comes before sight, both the rhythm and the tonal syllables must be sound-based rather than notation-based. So this is a view that the whole point of a rhythm syllable system in sound before symbol is that the syllables are oriented around the sound, not oriented around the notation, the symbol of the sound. Does that make sense? Both a notation-based approach and a beat-based approach, they're both sound before symbol, but they approach it from different angles. And that leads to the second question I want to ask myself about rhythm syllables. What do I want to emphasize? I really, really like the idea of making aural sense of a rhythm and conceptualizing it around the beat and the beat function. I think this helps with subdivision. I think it helps with um, keeping everyone in the ensemble together because we always have this takadimi 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 engine going on no matter what the rhythm is no matter how we break it down we can all in our heads be subdividing together takadimi 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 I also like that it ties nicely to metric counting. If that's a switch that we want to make in upper grades, or if that's something that we expect students to use in later ensembles, I like that takadimi has a direct tie to one e anda. 
Now, that said, if students don't make that switch to metric counting for whatever reason, maybe they don't go into an ensemble or their ensemble uses, you know, for whatever reason, a different system, Takadimi is still a complete system on its own. Students don't need to know anything um, extended from that in order to make sense of a lot of different musics. It gives them a lot of flexibility. Again, let's go back to this example of Vibora de la Mar, where we have some mixed meter going on. When we're counting this in Takadimi, it doesn't matter what the meter is. It matters where the beat is. Is. And this frees us up to do songs like that in early grades because students don't need a time signature to conceptualize the rhythm. They don't have to know that what the what these sounds are notated as in terms of the specific symbols that we're using. So I want to prioritize, and this is my opinion, I want to prioritize a rhythmic grid of the beat and the beat subdivision. Now, Let's back up and talk about where these syllables come from in the first place, because very similar to our conversation about the national standards for music education or state standards for music education, these did not fall from the sky. So let's back up and talk about rhythm syllables in Western music education. And for this, we're going to need to go back in time and travel to France. Let's start with French time names. So a mathematician named Pierre Galin developed this system of counting syllables. And this is largely developed a system for counting syllables, I should say. And this is largely the thing that we point back to and we say here, this is where rhythm syllables really took off in Western music education. And this was early 1800s ish. The other people that were involved in this are Emi Perry and Emi's sister Nenine and her husband, a French physician named Emile Chevy. They made some changes to Pierre Guéline's syllable system and they published them back in 1844. By the way, I am so sorry for my French pronunciation. This is my very best guess <laughs> um, based on um, everything that I could find about these pronunciations. So this was a symbol-based system. We had noir, 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 croche, 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 blanche, blanche, and double croche, double croche, double croche, double croche. <laughs> so we have noir for black, which we were using for uh, quarter notes. We have croche, which would be eighth notes. We have blanche, which is the word for white. And we have double croche, which is semi-quaver, semi-quaver, what we would call 16th notes. Now, this system, I mentioned that um, the, the people who came along after Gelin, they made a few changes. And this system went through actually a bunch of different changes in its time. Um, it evolved. And it also included, I thought this was interesting, it included not just a, um, a set of syllables that we were going to say, it also included a way for music to be notated, like a shorthand for music to be notated. And that was a series of dots and dashes and zeros and numbers. Very interesting. So this was a whole system that was, in my opinion, kind of complex. Okay, so let's fast forward. We have some branches off of the French time names developed by Guilin, and it went through several different iterations before it arrived to what we now call the Kodai syllables. John Kerwin, we know him from our Kerwin hand signs, he adapted the French time names for use in Great Britain. 
He was one of many people who did some changes there. Luther Mason also adapted Galen syllables for use in the United States and Japan, as did Lowell Mason. Both of these systems, um, Luther Mason and Lowell Mason, both of these systems were, in my opinion, again, pretty complex. And I won't go into all of the details, but in one version, you are saying something different for the beat itself based on where the beat was in the measure, in 4-4. Four, four. So in 4-4, four, four, these four quarter notes were ta, ta, te, te. So the beats in the first half of the measure were different from the beats in the second half of the measure. Beats one and two, ta, ta. Beats three and four, te, te. And then when you split them into eighth notes, you get ta, fa, ta, fa, te, fe, te, fe. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so let's go back to Lowell Mason because he comes into play here. And you might be familiar with that name if you have had some courses on like music education history in the United States. He wrote Joy to the world. And he is also the person that we credit with getting music into the public school system. So that was in Boston, big guy for us. He did a few tweaks of this system as well. And that eventually led after a while to what we call the simplified French names system. And one of the changes here is that it went from being symbol-based, you remember noir, 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 from being symbol-based to being beat-based. So now in these simplified French names, we ended up with ta, 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 te, ta, te, ta, te, ta, te, ta, fa, te, fe, ta, fa, te, fe, ta, fa, te, fe, ta, fa, te, fe. And then from there, you might see where this is going. Kodai teachers in Hungary later adapted some of these syllables even more. And we call these, we often refer to these as the Hungarian rhythm syllables or Kodai rhythm syllables. And you are probably familiar with these. These are ta, 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 ti, 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 ti. That flicked R is hard to do over and over for me. And you'll notice another system change here that instead of being beat based, now we are going back to notation based. Ta is different than TT, even though T would presumably land on the downbeat, at least in some situations, right? So then when this was brought to North America, a Kodai instructor named Pierre Perron adapted them again to make those, um, those sounds a little bit more percussive. The difference between tiri tiri in the Hungarian pronunciation, and this is my understanding of how it's been explained to me um, in my Kodai courses, the difference between the Hungarian tiri tiri and American tiri tiri, <laughs> um, the R's were kind of getting swallowed. They weren't quite percussive enough for them to get communicated through at the time it was through radio so now we have these changes that we use and often still call the Kodai syllables although they were based on Gilin's work and although uh, Pierre Perron is the one who changed them to make them more percussive now we have ta ti ti tikka tikka which is what again many of us use and this is just an aside. I mentioned that I have a bunch of sources for all of this. 
the the history of rhythm syllables is kind of um, is kind of messy <laughs> because it was not a, a situation where everybody got together in one room and said, okay, here's how we are going to do this. Right, this is a natural progression of things changing over time, and then over you know a period of a few years, someone publishes something and slaps their name on it. But you can always trace it back to some you know previous idea and everything like that. So um, if you just do like a Google search of rhythm syllable systems, you'll find a lot of information and that made the uh, the tracing of this kind of tricky for me again I was not googling I was you know looking at academic history articles on this but that to say uh, this is not a very simple first we had this then we did this then we did this these were kind of happening all at the same time some of them were interconnected some of them weren't right so all of that to say I do have uh, just to reiterate I have some uh, resources at the bottom of the show notes that you can use if you want to do some more digging into my timeline and how things are all connected and everything like that. Okay, so now we come to uh, one of the more recently developed rhythm syllable systems, and that was developed by James Frosseth and Albert Blazer in the 1970s. But we do not normally call it Frosseth and Blazer. We call it the Gordon system because, of course, it is so associated with Gordon and music learning, uh, music learning theory. And Gordon did a lot of work, as you probably know, around emphasizing how music is audiated, how it is constructed and made sense of from an aural standpoint. It's more than just how it sounds. It is how it is conceptualized orally. And a huge thing here is that Gordon wanted a system that was based around, um, again, how it's audiated, not how it is notated. And for that, we are using beat-based syllables as well. So here we have do, 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 de, do, de, do, de, do, de, do, ta, de, ta, do, ta, de, ta, do, ta, de, ta, do, ta, de, ta. And that brings us to Takanimi, which we've already discussed. Richard Hoffman, William Pelto, and John W. White were the people who systematized this. Although, to my understanding, these syllables themselves, like this system was already used in jazz circles to some extent. And I want to make that distinction that Hoffman, Pelto, and White standardized this beat-based system of counting that we just call Takanimi. That specific vocable itself, number one, again, was used in jazz circles before this, but it's also a, this specific collection of syllables, taka di mi, has been used by South Indian classical musicians for a long, 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 long time. But their system of counting talas is very different from how we think of beat and beat division in Western music. So the the specific vocables, taka di mi, are the same, but the systems themselves are not connected. Okay, we've already looked at some examples of Takadimi rhythm syllables very quickly because this question came up uh, recently on Instagram. When we change from duple meter to compound meter or simple meter, from simple meter to compound meter, we're going to change those syllables as well. So if we had, as I was walking down the street, you might be familiar with this song. As I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street, a friend of mine I chanced to meet. Hi ho, hi ho, hi ho! Rig a jig jig and away we go, away we go, away we go. Rig a jig jig and away we go. Hi ho, hi ho, hi ho! 
If we do that in talkative syllables, you'll notice that this switches over from simple to compound. So we'd have ta ta di ta di ta di ta ta di ta Okay, I've emphasized takadimi a lot in this episode because it's my syllable system of choice. But I want to talk about criticisms of beat-based systems in favor of notation-based systems and the criticism of notation-based systems in favor of beat-based systems. Here's what I mean. Most of us are starting from the same place. We have the same core values around this. It's just a question of where we are going to branch off from those core values. One of those main values we have is sound to symbol. And both systems that we've talked about in terms of notation-based versus beat-based, both of those, again, are sound-before-symbol approaches, just kind of from a different lens. The idea of us all kind of starting from the same place and having the same core values, that becomes more and more apparent to me the more journal articles I read around this because um, what makes me laugh is I'm seeing recycled arguments for both approaches, both notation-based and beat-based. The first argument is we want to prioritize sound to symbol. Someone who uses notation-based syllables, like the Kodai syllables, ta, ti, ti, tika, tika, someone who uses those might say, we want to prioritize the sound and then move from sound to symbol. So I give you the sound, ta, ti, ti, tika, tika, and you write the symbol, or you hear the duration, that sound again, and you write the symbol. There you go, sound to symbol. And someone who uses beat-based syllables, something like takadimi or the Gordon syllables, ta, tadi, takadimi, someone who uses beat-based syllables would say as well, hey, we want to prioritize the sound and then move from sound to symbol. Same thing, right? But they would extend it probably to say uh, that means that we cannot fundamentally at the core of the system based the sound that we use off of the notation symbol. It needs to be sound-based, not symbol-based. That's a whole point of sound before symbol. So I give you a sound, you give me the function, and then we notate it with the symbol that works for whatever system we're using, not the other way around. There you go, sound to symbol. The next argument that came up both in, in both kind of camps of thought, notation-based and beat-based, the next argument was too many names makes everything confusing. So Jonathan Rappaport, who uh, many of you might know if you run in Kodai circles, he used the analogy of the same table in different people's houses. In the Takadimi system, why can we notate ta in so many different ways? Why can we notate ta with a quarter note and an eighth note and a half note and a sixteenth note, depending on the context? The one syllable ta can have different lengths of sound. And then because of that, many different symbols of Western notation. So if I have a table in my house and then we move that table to your house, why would we call it something else? It shouldn't matter where the table is located. It's still a table. We call it the same thing. In Kodai syllables, we say ta 
and it's always notated with a quarter note. Ta is always a quarter note, no matter where that quarter note is located on the beat. If we say T, it is always notated with an, air, with an eighth note, no matter where it is located. Rappaport is making this case that, you know, it makes more sense because it is consistent. If I give you ticka ticka t ticka t ticka ta, you know exactly how to write it in standardized Western notation because the syllables themselves are exclusively oriented around standardized Western notation. So too many names for the same thing, standardized Western notation gets confusing and it doesn't make sense. Now, same argument, different, uh, different lens, different camp. Too many names makes everything confusing. Don Esther wrote an article about beat-based syllables and Takadimi in particular, and he wondered in this article, in Kodai syllables, why can we call the downbeat so many different things? In 6-8 or cut time or common time, the downbeat is always experienced as the downbeat. It's always the same steady pulse. It's the same thing. So why do we call the downbeat, which is the same function everywhere, no matter the notation, why do we call the downbeat by so many different names? The downbeat could be a tu or a ta or a titi, and all the while it's the same thing, right? So too many names for the same thing, the beat function, the rhythm relationships gets confusing and it doesn't make sense. So the first argument for and against beat-based syllables is we want to prioritize sound to symbol. The next argument used both for and against beat-based syllables is too many names makes everything confusing. And the third argument for and against beat-based syllables is we use movable dough. Therefore, it only makes sense to use blank. We use movable dough, therefore it only makes sense to use notation-based syllables. Or we use movable dough, therefore it only makes sense to use beat-based syllables. Here's what the authors mean by that. If we were to sing mi, re, do in the key of C, mi, re, do are the absolute pitches E, D, C. If we were trans to transpose that to the key of F and sing mi, re, do, the functional pitch relationship, do, 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 three steps down, mi, re, do, are still the same, right? We don't change solfege when the key changes because even though they are placed somewhere else in terms of pitch, functionally, the relationships creating the melody are the same. And Rappaport, who is, uh, again, the Kodai person in this, um, in this, um, oh, we'll call it a standoff, in this standoff, uses the argument to illustrate how it doesn't make sense to change syllables when the sounds move around in relation to the beat if the standardized Western notation of the sound stays the same. It's still mi, re, do, just in a different location, right? So we keep the name. We're going to call it the same thing. Same thing. If a quarter note is in a different place on the beat, we're still going to call it a quarter note. And we're still going to say ta because it's still a quarter note. It's just in a different location. In the same way that we use movable do, and keep those syllable systems the same, we're going to keep the notation syllables the same in this context. Now, let's switch it around. Dalby uses this same argument to illustrate that it doesn't make sense to change rhythm syllables because the function of the downbeat is still the same, regardless of how you notate it. And Peggy Bennett said a similar thing. Um, this is a quote. Why are we willing to teach children a rhythm syllable system that relies on seeing the note 
and naming the note value when most or all of us choose to use movable dough rather than fixed dough because we believe in emphasizing tonal relationships rather than pitch names. It's still Mire dough, just in a different location, so keep the name. It's still the downbeat, just notated with something else, so keep the name of the downbeat, right? Do you see how the question is not which one is better, but the question is which one is this better for? We have the same arguments for both systems. So now we get to wrap up with our last question. What works best for the ensemble? Because the whole point of this is musical communication with the other musicians in the ensemble. I like, you already know this, a beat-based system of counting over a notation-based system of counting. But I'm in a situation where I can make that choice for the musicians that I work with. If I were in a situation where my whole district had one chosen syllable system that we all used, even if I disagreed with that choice of syllables, the important thing would be that I am using the syllable system that works best for the ensemble as a whole. And in this case, in a district case, that ensemble would extend to all of the student musicians in the whole district, not just the ones in my campus. So regardless of what our personal opinions are, there's kind of more of an expansive conversation to be had about who is this syllable system communicating with. If it's just the people in our music classroom and we have the ability to choose and pivot and change our mind over time, that's one thing. But if we are working in a larger interconnected system, then that comes into play with our decision-making process as well. So today we have kind of gone into the weeds a little bit about rhythm syllables, and we've framed it around a few elemental questions. What is the role of the symbol in a sound before symbol approach? We've also talked about what we want to emphasize, and by nature of emphasizing something, we're going to de-emphasize something else. And then the last question that we've kind of thought through is what communication system works best for the ensemble? And in all of this, hopefully we've also had some internal conversations about how it's normal to change your mind over time. It's normal to use something that works for a while and then switch when you're in a new situation or you think about something differently, right? And we all have, um, unless you were in one of those district systems, we all have the ability to kind of change our minds and evolve on this. And I definitely expect me uh, myself to change my mind over time. Because the core value of sound before symbol and experiencing music actively, that's at the heart of all of these systems that we've talked about today. So regardless of what you call a downbeat or what you call a quarter note and whether or not you think those are the same thing or function the same way, uh, we all have the same core system. We're trying to bring music to students in a way that is active and student-centered and that lets students expand their musical knowledge after they leave our classrooms. 